want to bring in Bob Iocino. He's joining us this morning from Path Trading Partners to help us talk financials. And, well, Bob, let's begin with the housing data that just came out. It looks like the permits came in a little bit higher than expected. The housing starts below consensus, kind of a mixed number this morning. Yeah, good morning, Ben. I think you're going to be, uh, we're going to get pretty used to seeing housing numbers be weak. We saw that in the NEHB housing price index yesterday. We saw that hit uh, lowest level since the pandemic, actually, and there were only two lower levels than yesterday's NEHB housing price index that came in at 38. There were only two lower levels than that um, in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, you have to go all the way back to uh, the Great Recession to find NAHB numbers that low. So with that in mind, housing starts, sure, much less than expected. Uh, permits, never really cared about permits. The permits don't have to be acted on. They're very similar to uh, oil well leases, where you may get leases and you may get people who attend the auctions and buy the leases, but they never drill them. It's the same thing with permits. So the starts are really what you're looking at. We're seeing a little bit uh, estimations of a little bit lower inventory in terms of new homes, for sure. Existing homes, inventory starting to creep up. You know, Bob, uh, not only did we get the housing start building permits numbers, but we also just had a look at a CAD CPI, which came in a little bit higher than expected. I don't want to get too much into that and uh, back you into a corner here. You probably haven't really had a chance to dive into that too much, but the year-over-year -year number at 6% came in above prior 5.8, it looks like, and the month-over-month -month number at 0.1. They were looking for a slight decline, down 0.1. The core also coming in above uh, prior levels. That was the core, now that I think of it, that I mentioned there, the uh, core CPI at 6% above 5.8. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, trend we've seen, though. Uh, I mean, earlier this morning, UK, uh, we saw their CPI coming in. Uh, we're talking four-decade highs. Yeah, we can get into this all you want. There's no abating of the inflation train. It yeah. just hasn't slowed to the extent that central banks, I think, were hoping but not necessarily expecting. Yeah. And that's why we continue to see the same rhetoric. Regardless of what you're going to say about the Jerome Powell Fed, they're going too far if a recession is your barometer or if the general economy is your barometer. Their communication has been spot on. They've said what they're going to do, and then they've done it. Mm -hmm. We obviously had a little bit of a break from the barrage of Fed speakers that we saw the last week and a half. We only had two yesterday. I believe we have two today as well. I could be wrong on that. But still, the message is the same. We have to do more to curb inflation. The overseas inflation numbers kind of confirm what we saw in this past U.S. CPI uh, we saw Canada CPI, and Canada's lagging a little bit, although leading in terms of rate hikes. Granted, the U.S. has been cumulatively more aggressive, but Canada started it. Australia started it. They all hiked before the central bank of the U.S. did. So I think when you're looking at inflation, if you're looking for improvement in inflationary figures, which is what the Fed has actually said, Fed governors, Fed presidents, they've actually said we need to actually see whether that's the right metric or not, it's what they've said. We need to actually see improvement in the inflation figures. You're not seeing it yet, not only in the U.S., but you're not seeing it globally. And again, Jerome Powell seems to do what he says he's going to do, and there's been no pause or pivot in the rhetoric yet, so I don't expect any pause or pivot in the actions either. 
uh, Kashkari, one of the most recent to uh, kind of, as you just pointed to, say, basically until we get some sort of indication that inflation's coming off, he doesn't see any reason to stop at 4.5% or 4 and 3 quarters percent for that matter. And uh, you did say we will get a look at a couple Fed speakers here today, Kashkari, one of them, and Charles Evans being the other. Let's talk a little bit about markets here, Bob, because well, you've got the U.K., I just mentioned CAD, CPI, the U.S. numbers. We know those are uh, elevated as well, stubbornly high. You've got a different situation playing out in Japan. The yen right now, I, I went into break saying a two-decade low. I'm hearing this is now a new 34-year low uh, for what we're seeing in terms of the Japanese yen. This is a long-in-the-tooth trend that continues lower. And if uh, a down today, it looks like something like 12 in a row to the downside here, Bob. This one's opening up the door to the downside in a big way. So if you want to talk about stubborn uh, stubbornness in central banks and central bankers, almost regardless of who's been in charge of the Bank of Japan, they have stuck to policies that have not been friendly to the currency or to yields at that particular given time. You and I, Ben, have both lived through the intervention of the Bank of Japan and the currency in the past, and it's never really worked. It's doing even less now. We've mm. seen two rounds of intervention that I'm aware of, could be more of that, and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And people can say all they want that the Bank of Japan is going to have to back off on the current policies they're engaging in, which again, still very accommodative, especially when you line it up against the UK, the US, Canada, Australia. Bank of Japan is accommodative um, AF, as the kids say, but they haven't backed off of that. We haven't seen any of that. And we're not likely to see it given the stubbornness of central bankers specifically, and I'm sorry, generally and specifically of Kuroda. So until he actually comes out and says he's going to pivot for that, you know, we talk about dollar strength, and I'm sure you want to bring up dollar strength. I'm sure you want to talk about dollar strength. Unless you see the central banks globally get more aggressive than the U.S. Fed, I don't know how that's possible. Or if you see their economies outperform, they're clearly lagging. We've got the EU and the UK leading us into recession, not necessarily driving, driving us in, but leading the bus that's driving all global economies into recession. Um, you're not going to see the dollar weaken in any substantial way until these economies either outperform or our central bank gets more accommodative or the other central banks get more aggressive. Again, I don't know how that's possible. Bob, uh, we were just looking at the strength in the dollar. Here's a look at the euro currency. Both of those have kind of lost some of the momentum we had been seeing. Again, dollar to the upside, euro to the downside. This comes as rates have still uh, continued that trajectory. Uh, ultimately, where do you see the divergence playing out here? Rates and the dollar have been tracking each other very closely. Maybe it is kind of the, the tail that wags the dog. We talk about the euro and as it loses its momentum to the downside, obviously the dollar is going to slow that run up. But uh, will we resume? You think it's going to be uh, somewhat range bound potentially here or just kind of uh, hold uh, that trend to the upside? You said supported by some of the factors yeah. you said, but uh, uh, rates obviously being one of those contributing factors here if they continue higher. Yeah, it's likely the factor, Ben. And again, over the last couple of days, we saw a little bit of at least stabilization in the rate picture in the U.S., and that stabilized the dollar, if not drove it a little bit lower. You know, you have the, the euro chart up there. We've literally seen seven bear market rallies in the euro in 2022. And yet, if you measured the decline of the euro, it's in bear market territory. This needs to be kept in mind, both when you're looking at equity assets, 
Um, I've gone on record, and I'll go on record again, as saying that I think U.S. equities will be positive for the fourth quarter, but that's only versus the close of the third quarter. It won't be positive on the year, and that we're likely to see more weakness in Q1, Q2 of next year. It's the same story for the dollar. You can see weakness in the currency, in in the uh, sort of the global currency of the U.S. dollar. You can see weakness there. Uh, but it's more likely to be a bull market pullback than it is okay. any sort of reversal of the trend in the, in the dollar index. I've got the dollar here. I could just pull up a quick look at the euro currency and some of the weakness we've seen there. This is the 6E. And just also wanted to point out here, uh, taking a look at rates here, this is the 30 year up to 4.1% here. This big move up and through 3.4, 3.5. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what's seeing what you're seeing in terms of crude. I know it's kind of an abrupt shift here, but we haven't gotten a chance to dive too much into it. Bob, you were talking again uh, about some of these efforts on behalf of uh, uh, central bankers to cool uh, uh, some of the uh, you know uh, inflationary pressures. Ultimately, we've got the Biden administration trying to cool some of the pressures we've seen coming from the energy sector as crude prices remained up around this $90 level for the most part. We're hearing a more uh, strategic petroleum reserves, they're going to be released, but everybody's kind of losing sight of the fact that this is just part of the announced March releases. Right. The announced March releases, the 180 million barrels, all it did was get pushed back to November 1st. I think there's something happening in early November, something political. I'm not sure. But from that perspective, it's not a new release. It's just a release that's been pushed back. That's fine. That was announced. If you want to talk about the overall strategy of releasing this much of the SPR, I think it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. But I still maintain and have maintained, Ben, and you know that because we've talked about it. I've talked to Oliver about it, that we're likely to see 65 before we see 105 in WTI, in my opinion. Now, the rally today, a um, little bit of a, of a comeback off of the rate story again. But from that perspective, there's talk of OPEC plus kicking the tires on potentially doing an even larger production cut. That's just rumors right now. I don't know anything. I got to stress that. I don't know anything. I haven't talked to anybody. But that's being bandied about by people in my circle that watch crude oil as, as intently as I do. I still have the overall target of about $65 for WTI. The demand picture is just very, very weak. And when you look at the production side of the U.S., not going to be helping, OPEC not going to be helping, yet we remain in this sort of almost uninterrupted downtrend, very similar to the euro in, in the uninterrupted downtrend, although there's been seven rallies in 2022 that didn't stop the overall downtrend. Crude to me is the same story. Uh, I reserve the right to tell you I've completely flipped on that if we hear anything from OPEC, or if we make it to the next summer driving season, and we haven't had any sort of change in the price levels now. All right, we've got the lows to keep an eye on. The September lows around uh, $76 level. So uh, a bit of a tug of war, to say the least, here between the Biden administration and OPEC right now. And uh, we'll keep an eye on those potential cuts, uh, more cuts to come, as you mentioned there, Bob. Uh, we'll watch for that. Bob Aicino, appreciate you joining us this morning and sharing your thoughts. Bob's the chief strategist at Path Trading Partners, the founder as well. And